Welcome to Two Brothers and Their Sports. I'm your co-host, Arv. And I'm your co-host, Arsh. And today, as you can see, is a very special episode. Me and Arsh are finally back together, and this is just going to be a one-week thing. Hopefully, we can get these going in the future as well. But this is going to be a really, really great episode. We're going to start off by talking about the NBA season beginning, who we think are early championship contenders, and the results from the first few days of the NBA season. We're also going to talk about the MLB postseason, the ALCS and NLCS, who will advance into the World Series. And then finally, we're going to talk about Christian McCaffrey being traded to the San Francisco 49ers for four picks. And then our weekly segment, Two Bros, Two Picks, to help you guys set your fantasy football lineups for guys available in over 50% of fantasy football ESPN leagues. Yeah, so let's start with NBA. So we'll start off with just... Just some things that have stood out starting. So I'm going to talk about my team, the Rockets. You can see the jersey over there, the old James Harden jersey. The Rockets have been amazing in the preseason. Right now, as of recording, they are 0-1. But Jalen Green looked amazing in the preseason. Jabari looked okay. Jabari looked pretty good. Jabari looked okay. The rookie, he's not even the most, he's not the rookie that I'm excited about. That's Tari Eason. Tari Eason has been amazing, posting high point double doubles, like 20 plus point double doubles with rebounds and points. And he's just been amazing, like fighting for a starting spot amazing. Think about a lineup that may come in as Kevin Porter Jr. You got Jalen Green, Jabari Smith. Opera and Sangoon, or even Bruno Fernando, who's been looking amazing, and Tari Eason, that's one of the top, not just young, but just top starting lineups. Even Jay Shante, too. Yeah, but I, I would put, I would argue that Tari Eason played well enough, put him above Jay Shante, the 28-year-old, that may be young for some teams, but not for our team. I don't think that f- top five lineup is not only one of the best young starting lineups, it's one of the best starting lineups with Jalen Green and Jabari are, and Tari already being proven in college and coming in here and playing well. Now, we did not look like what we did in the preseason when we played a regular season game. Jalen Green wasn't amazing. I mean, no one was really great, but we were a lot better than last year. We were a solid team. I think we have a chance to make the play-in, if not the playoffs, without the play-in tournament this year. Yeah, so the Boston Celtics, obviously my favorite team, had a great win against the Philadelphia 76ers. They were trailing the whole game, came back, and then in the third and fourth quarter, really turned it on. Jason Tatum at 35, Jalen Brown also at 35. Jason Tatum had, I think, 35, 12, and 4. Something insane like that in his first game back. But I was more impressed, as much as I hate to say this, with James Harden. He finally worked out. He was posting workout videos of him in the offseason. He cut down so much weight. He looked way more explosive. He was hitting threes, except for that one where he dropped Marcus Smart and just airballed it. But other than that, he's he's showing why the 76ers traded for him. And we see when he puts in work, when he actually shows he's committed, he's a great player. And we knew he had this still. Everyone was talking about how he fell off a cliff, but that's because he didn't work out. He finally started working out, getting back into shape, taking care of his body even more now that he's older. And it showed. It showed a lot. He had 35 points, and he really he outscored Joel Embiid, and he had a bigger impact than Joel Embiid. So I think James Harden is going to—this is going to be a bounce-back season for him, and I'm really excited to see what he can do now that he's started working out. Yeah. But— I'm more I'm more impressed 
with the Boston Celtics here. 35 and 35 from their top duo. Malcolm Brogdon didn't start. Marcus Smart got the start, the, the defensive player of the year last year. And they this rotation is absolutely incredible. They kept Al Horford. They kept so many of their bench guys. Rob Williams is hurt, but he's going to come back. This is an absolutely incredible team. And I think that they're going to make a finals run. Um, and then I also want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. I, they lost their first game. Kevin Durant had in, uh, over 30 points. But this is my point. that You had all this dissent in the offseason between Joe Sy, Kevin Durant, even Kyrie Irving was involved in this. This is my exact point. I do not think that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be good this season because of what happened. We saw, I talked about this earlier or in, a, in an earlier episode. If you look at the dissent that Kevin Durant caused and the relationships that he broke during that time between him and Steve Natch and even Kyrie Irving, and now... This team has no chemistry whatsoever, and it's because of Kevin Durant. Even though he's putting up individual efforts, this team's not going to be good. Yeah, and speaking of who the Nets played, the Pelicans, who got Zion back. Zion. So let's talk about Zion. He looked amazing coming back. He looked like he lost some weight and was really physically at the NBA level, and he was just too much for Brooklyn to handle, even for Ben Simmons who some people are putting defensive player of the year and Ben Simmons in the same sentence this year. He was destroying him in all parts of the game. And just, I mean, there was that post play where he just took up Ben Simmons, who's a big guy. He's a big point guard, like Magic Johnson type big. And Zion just spun around him, bodied him, and gets the N1. He's just looked amazing. And he's just been so great. Yeah, in, the, sure. in the preseason and just coming back, and especially against the Nets, putting up basically a single-handed effort to beat them. Without him, they would have lost this game easily. Exactly. And then I also wanted to talk about the Knicks versus Grizzlies game. I know you watch that. You're a huge John Morant fan and Grizzlies, but you're not a huge Grizzlies fan, but obviously John Morant, you've advocated for him since we started this podcast. You've loved him. And he's he had a great game. He had a, a buzzer beater, but they caused it, called it an offensive foul. But they still ended up winning the game in overtime. But Quentin Grimes, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and even Cam Reddish had great games. This Knicks team, I think, is going to be really good. I don't think Julius Randle is going to be the forefront anymore. I think R.J. Barrett's finally going to take the next step, lead this team. And with the acquisition of Jalen Brunson and Cam Reddish in the offseason, I think this team is poised to make a deep run. I don't think they'll make the NBA Finals. And speaking of that, who do you, you think— You do or don't? I do not think so. And then one more thing. Let's talk about Paolo Bencaro's NBA debut— he scored 27 points yeah. in his debut, and he's going. He, he was compared to LeBron's NBA debut, who obviously blossomed into the LeBron that we know today. So I'm going to talk about Ben Carroll. I feel like that was an amazing game, and I hope it does not come back to bite my Rockets because we were supposed to get him at number three. I thought he was the worst player out of the, that top three. Obviously, Chet's hurt for the season most likely, but Ben Carroll at Duke was field goal percentage was way down and he took so many shots at the ends of games that really cost Dukes a lot of big games, including that UNC game. Banker had a pretty good game. He did not have the game a great game, but in the NBA in the preseason too, he's just looked so great, especially compared to Jabari. I just don't know how what just happened. Maybe it's just switching to the NBA level. It's maybe some kind of like Justin Herbert thing where Herbert and or Josh Allen had so many questions coming out of college, like bad, bad inefficiencies in their game. And suddenly when they made it here into the NFL, they've just been such great quarterbacks. 
is that going to be what's up with Paolo? Because he has not been like that at Duke. Exactly. I actually disagree with you here because you talked about at UNC, yeah, that's just one game. But he, at Duke, yeah, he didn't use his body, but he was still this dominant. He was always great at shooting. He could shoot the three ball and he could work in the paint. Even he he put up a good fight against Armando Baycott. So I think, I think this was here all along. I expected him to go number two ahead of Chet. But I still think he was here before. He was like this before. It's not like he just switched the gear. Right, this is but, what he was. But I feel like his field goal percentage was not what it was in that 27-point game. He never scored that dominantly, number one. And number two, he was an R.J. Barrett guy. He was a type of ball hog at Duke. Like, not in a bad way because he was pr- pretty much that guy for that team. But they had someone like A.J. Griffin, Jeremy Roach was there, Mark Williams was there, and he was more of like an R.J. Barrett, who might have been the most talented guy on the team, and there's no Zion that was on that team last year. But still, R.J. would pretty much take up the ball in the end of games, and which is fine. You can be a ball hog if you're someone like Kobe. Kobe was a ball hog, but he was the type of guy that could use it well. And maybe R.J. RJ Barrett has become that kind of good ball hog in the NBA, and it seems like Bancaro, I mean, this might be an overreaction, but it seems like he's starting to become a good ball hog. I disagree. He was never a ball hog at Duke. And in fact, he actually had more. You mentioned all the weapons he had. That's that's why against the UNC game, A.J. Griffin at 22. That's why he had people there. The reason he's scoring a lot more higher percentage is because on the Magic, who else is there? Jalen Suggs, but Jalen Suggs had a terrible year last year. Right. There's right. no one else on the Magic. So at Duke, he had other people. He didn't well, need to score. Now here, at Duke, he I, needs to be the number so one. So are you saying that the Magic team is worse than the Duke team? I don't think. I'm so. I'm saying they have way less talent than the Duke team. I disagree. The da- the talent at Duke team is highlighted when they play other college players. But once you get to the NBA, every single player in the NBA that's especially that's starting or even makes the rotation is a type of Duke level basketball recruit. I mean, Duke obviously one of the top programs. They recruit obviously the best players, but only the best of the best make it into the NBA, which is why I think most of the NBA players are better than the guys playing at Duke or at least at their talent level. All right, so now let's move on to the MLB postseason. And now we know the two matchups, the Philadelphia Phillies versus San Diego Padres and the the Houston Astros versus the New York Yankees. At the time of this recording, the Yankees are down 2-0, unfortunately, to the Houston Astros. And the Philadelphia Phillies are tied with the Padres 1-1. All right, so let's first focus on the Yankees versus Astros matchup. This is a best-of-seven series. The Yankees are down 2-0. And I think that the Yankees pitching has been a real problem here. We see James Talion started, or James Talion started. He gave up so he gave up home runs to uh, uh, Jeremy Pena and to uh, so many other guys there, and and Chaz and so many so many guys at the Houston Astros that they have. They're built around batting, and yes, they have the Bregman who can get you hits like DJ LeMayu, but they're built with power. Jose Altuve is the same way as Alex Bregman, but. They're built with power, and Jameson Talion is not, a, he's a starter, he's starting caliber, but you should definitely not open a series with Jameson Talion. I understand Garrett Cole and, Na- and Nestor Cortez were the two most recent guys to play in the ALDS, but you can't just start with Jameson Talion and well, not have with your to. Ace. Well, I know you have to, but Nestor Cortez, I'm, I'm just saying it's like a bad, it's a bad way to start. Because right. the Houston Astros easily took advantage of that. And in game two as well, they were up they were up three two the whole game and they never let up. 
Now the Yankees have they have great hitting, but the problem again has been their pitching. Their bullpen has been good too. They've actually let up fewer runs in the bullpen than they have normally. But I still think and the Yankees never have a problem with this year they don't have they have not had a problem with hitting. Their problem is their pitching, and the Houston Astros have jumped on that. The Yankees pitching, I mean, the Yankees bats. Harrison Bader has been on fire. They put him at the one spot in game two. Um, and then Aaron Judge, obviously, been on fire as well. He had a, he had a home run in the ALDS. Um, and uh, John Carlos Stanton had a home run. There's the, All these great guys are still at the Yankees, but and they're doing their part. The problem is the Yankees pitching, and they only have two guys that can really manage the Houston Astros. Jameson Talion is not one of them. Yeah, I agree with you. What I'm I'm gonna bring an interesting aspect. The Houston Astros, if they really think that their pitching's best, why did Justin Verlander start Game One? I think that's gonna bite them. I think that's gonna bite them in the butt. That's because true. coming into Game Three, I'm almost certain that Garrett Cole has enough rest. He's pitching. And the game after, game four, it's which it's a best of seven series. It has to go to game four. So game four, Nestor Cortez is most likely gonna pitch. What are That's you gonna when do? The will come back. What are you gonna do when those two guys pitch? Which is why I think the Yankees win the next two, if not just one of them. I think they have to win one of them. They're not gonna get swept. But then if they if they win two and then the third game, they're probably gonna lose because they're gonna have to start someone else. Well, yeah, that's game the four. Do you think they start Garrett Cole on short rest? I don't think so because I think Garrett Cole. I mean, might not game four, do... game seven, if they get there. Yeah, Game 7, definitely, because Garrett Cole will probably be pitching Game 3, so he'll have enough rest to pitch for Game 7. The problem is, I mean, Game 5, for example, let's say the Yankees only win one, Game 5, who are you going with? I might go Garrett Cole on very short rest there, and then Nestor Cortez the game after. If, like, Garrett Cole, you, you know he has to drive. When we were in the ALDS, they won, and it was 2-2, I believe, and Garrett Cole told Aaron Boone he would pitch the day after. Like, there's two back-to-back games on days. Garrett Cole pitched, I think, 110 pitches and went to Aaron Boone and told him that he'd pitch the next day if Aaron Boone needed him. He's driven, and he's ready to pitch on short rest. He is their ace. Now, what if they have bad days? The Yankees also, I think that they have a little bit of an edge because of Bader, Judge, and Judge being very hot right now. I think they have a teensy bit of an edge over the Astros. Just a little bit on batting. The problem is pitching. Their pitching needs to step up. And Talion is not that bad. Severino is not that bad. I mean, they lost by one run yesterday. The problem is that they have just got to get those bats going. And they've their pitching's okay. I mean, three runs isn't horrible. They've got to get those bats going like they didn't like they did in game five of the AL uh, DS. They've just got to be better in that aspect. Yeah, and historically the Houston Astros mostly beat the New York Yankees in series, especially in the ALCS. The Yankees, again, we obviously know the garbage can situation against the New York Yankees. But this whole th- the Yankees, whenever they go against the Houston Astros, they have problems. In and the Houston Astros had a regular regular season record. They were the one seed in the um in the AL conference. So it's gonna be a tough road for the Yankees. They're already down 2-0, like I mentioned. I unfortunately think they lose um, because that's just historically what happens. They never, they never end up beating the uh, the Houston Astros, and that's just that's just the way it is. So they really have to get, they have to up their game if they want to even think about beating the Astros. Now let's move on to the Phillies and the Padres series. So the Phillies won Game One. Obviously, Schwarber had a 488 foot home run. 
Game two, the Padres won, and Juan Soto was really, really dominant in that game. So was Manny Machado. And I've talked about this. Manny Machado's been so underrated, and he's been, uh, Fernando Tatis has been suspended. But Machado and Juan Soto, that's a lethal duo. Machado's finally turned it on. He's hit home runs in the past five games, not in a row, but he's had two in the past five games. And his bat is finally heating up. Juan Soto, we know what he was. They they spent so much to acquire him from the uh, um, from the Washington Nationals. But Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, this whole starting rotation for the Philadelphia—I mean, not Philadelphia—for the San Diego Padres is. I think they're going to end up winning this. We expected this when Juan Soto was acquired from the to the Padres. We expected them to make a World Series one run. I think they will. And the Philadelphia Phillies, they've had good pitching. Their top of the bullpen has been good. But the problem is the end of their bullpen. And if they, if the Padres can drag out the Phillies to end up using one of those back-end relievers, they end up winning the game. So I think the Padres, if they can just be... It's a long game that they play. At the end, if they get the reliever that they want, that's their chance. And we saw, we've seen that they've been winning later and later in the game. And the Philadelphia Phillies, luckily their bats, uh, Kyle Schwarber got out of his slump. Um, Reese Hoskins, the, all these guys have finally, right at the right time when they needed it. They've, they've got, they've got back into their, into the swing of things, no pun intended. And this, they've, they've been able to hit the Padres well, but I still think the Padres will win. This, this rotation is way too good. And they just beat the, the Los Angeles starters like I predicted. They're, they have so much momentum and they're playing a worse team. I expect them to win. Yeah. This is going to be a great series, an all time great series. I have it going to seven games. It's 1 1 right now. Philly is obviously one of the best teams in baseball. And the Padres, a surprising team, but one that was a little bit expected when they acquired Juan Soto and had did not give up any of their premier players. Imagine if Fernando Tatis got suspended and they win the World Series. Imagine how that would be. That would be. I mean, that, that would be, be pretty crazy. bad. Yeah. But it seems like they might be a better team without him. I don't know. I, I mean, it might just be because they realize, hey, we're all in this together. It's not just this one star. But they've had way more success than when they had him on the team. And maybe that's just like a John Moran Grizzlies thing, where everyone knows that they're better with John Moran, but yet their record shows a different or, story. Or is it like a Kyrie Irving situation where they're better without Kyrie Irving on the Boston Right, Celtics? right. So it just it depends, but it could go either way. This series could definitely go either way. I mean, you listed it. Their pitching and batting for both teams is like premier in the MLB. I'm wondering if the Padres win this and they make it to the World Series... How does that affect, like, are they going to be tired out by the time they get to the World Series? This is their third series that they've played. They played once in the wild card, the once in the NLDS, and now the NLCS. So it's it's just very tiring for a team to be playing that many games yeah, compared to another team like the Astros or the Yankees that will only have played three series no matter who wins. It just, it's a lot harder on a team, but it's it's basically mileage for the Padres can they get there? And Phillies, can they beat one of the hottest teams in the MLB right now? Exactly. And now let's move on to Christian McCaffrey. Surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, but it was crazy what the what the 49ers gave up. Just They gave up very little to get him. So let's talk about this. Christian McCaffrey was traded to the San Francisco 49ers yesterday night, very late at night. And it, the news broke. Everyone went crazy because the I think a top, I think a top two running back in the NFL easily. Um, got traded to a team that 
really that was the only position they needed. Elijah Mitchell, they've been mm, that's wide that's, receiver. I mean, sorry, quarterback. I mean, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is fine, and you you look at it when with this this team they they made the Super Bowl run with Tevin Coleman. Do you remember that the San Francisco 49ers? So I mean, he did have four touchdowns in that first quarter of that game. Remember that? I mean, I do that remember that, crazy. but still. This team really all they have needed is a is they've had a defense they've had wide receivers and Jimmy Garoppolo took them to a Super Bowl. The only position they needed is a running back, and they they got a premier one. They got a top three one in the NFL. Jeff Wilson's been great. He but last week he was not. Elijah Mitchell, yeah, sure, that's great. You can you can play the sixth round rookie that started last year and now is starting, but he's always hurt too. His knee and or his ankle. It's one of those two. Jeff Wilson is prone to get hurt. He will get hurt sometime this season. You have Christian McCaffrey, who, yeah, he's hurt, but he's he's really decreased the amount he's been hurt this year. And he joked about how much how much he's been hurt. Well, if he goes to the bathroom, then he he shows up on the injury report. But he is a great player. He's Jimmy Garoppolo's style is checking the ball down and running the ball. That's exactly what Christian McCaffrey's been. He had over 2,000 yard, scrimmage yards. He had over 1,000 receiving yards and 1,000 rushing yards. That premier season where he was considered the best running back in the NFL before he got hurt. That was when, um, that was when he was used as a screen guy, as a check down guy, but he could also run the ball. That's the exact role he's going to have here, except now he has a premier wide receiver to play alongside Debo Samuel that doesn't have to, he doesn't have to rely, he doesn't have to carry all everything on himself. Debo Samuel's there and, um, Debo Samuel's there and, uh, Brandon Ayuk's there. Jimmy Garoppolo, we know he's capable when he has the weapons and here he clearly does. I love Christian McCaffrey now even more in fantasy football, but I, I really, I love this for him. He's finally on a contender and this team, I'm calling it right now, is going to win the Super Bowl. Right now, with that move, this is a Super Bowl caliber team. They're going to win it this year and Jimmy Garoppolo's done it. It's his revenge tour now that he has Christian McCaffrey. I have no idea what the Panthers are doing. A second, a third, fourth, and fifth. That's it for a top three running back in the NFL. One that just a couple of years when ago... When he's healthy, best running back in the NFL. He's one that just had over a thousand scrimmage yards and a thousand rushing yards in the same season. A thousand, a thousand receiving, receiving and, rushing, and yeah. rushing. Yeah. This guy... I mean, I know that people think that running backs are expendable. Not by that much. This guy is not a dime a dozen. This guy's worth three or more first round picks with a, he's worth, with other picks he's as worth, well as players. He's worth almost as much as Deshaun Watson. He they gave up three first round picks. There should have been at least at least two first round picks. Two first round season. picks, other picks, and pretty good compensation in players. Instead, they get it for only four picks and a second, third, fourth, and fifth. No firsts. That is beyond belief. I mean, that is one of the all time scams. In the NFL, like Herschel Walker level scams. When you see what well, I agree with you, this team has Super Bowl potential. You think they're going to win? I think that they have a chance, but I think that getting to the NFC Championship, anything below that, now with Christian McCaffrey, is going to be considered a failure for this 49ers team. Especially with Trey Lance coming back next year, this can become like a serious dynasty. I mean, this might be an overreaction, but a dynasty. No, no, that's not an overreaction. Trey Lance is a young quarterback. They've got their young quarterback. Christian McCaffrey's still pretty young. Debo's very young. Ayuk's young. Debo's not asking for a trade. I mean, he's got the best situation in the NFL for where he's at. George Kittle, I mean, their offense, they have a top tight end, a top running back, 
top wide receiver, like uh, definitely could be a top quarterback, and a guy, a, another great versatile wide receiver that people are raving about is one of the better young wide receivers, Brandon Ayuk. How can you beat it? Oh yeah, they have one of the better defenses and special teams units in the NFL. This is amazing. It's going to fall down on Jemmy Garoppolo. But you also have to think long term. This could be an amazing, amazing team.